Friends, good morning. For those of you who haven't met, my name's Mark. I'm going to read to you God's Word this morning. Now, we've got um, the great challenge of reading from two passages this morning, which I know is a, a stretch. Um, but what I'm going to ask of you is if we can... Our second reading is 1 John. So for those going old school and reading from the hardcover, it's page 1230, 1230. So if I can encourage you to flick to that and keep your finger in there. And then come back with me to Deuteronomy 6, which is page 182. That all makes sense? So we are reading from Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 4. And this is the word of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Come with me to 1 John. Reminder, page 1230, 1 John chapter 4, we're starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world if anyone acknowledges that jesus is the son of god god lives in them and they in god and so we know and rely on the love god has for us god is love whoever lives in love lives in god and god in them Oh, good morning, everyone. Morning to you if you're watching online as well. My name is Nathan, if we haven't met. What an awesome passage, that passage from 1 John is. I'd never get tired of reading from that. I hope you're like me. Let's pray as we get started together. Lord God, what great love you have lavished upon us that we shall be called your children. And that is what we are. Lord, we pray that you might help us hear you as good children as you speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to kick off our series for this term with a question I'm going to ask you. Now, oftentimes when people up here ask questions, it's rhetorical. 
Not today, okay? It's not a rhetorical question. I want you to actually think in your heads what your answer might be. Everybody ready? It's not too scary. Here it is. What do you want? Have a think. What do you want? It's not a trick question. What do you want? In some contexts, that's a pretty tricky question to answer. I've just come back from a trip to the US. One of the things that I was constantly surprised by as we were traveling around there was the sheer amount of choice that you get. I took a video of the cereal aisle in a Walmart one day and uh, there's a lot of choice. It's like, do you really need that much choice when it comes to cereal? Apparently you do. Uh, we also went to Walmart, uh, not Walmart, IHOP one morning. IHOP stands for the International House of Pancakes. Isn't that great? Wonderful. The waitress comes around and says, you know, what do you want? And uh, I put my order in, I'm going to have the steak and eggs. Of course, the follow-up question, how do you want your eggs? It's like, oh yeah. There's so many ways to have eggs. In fact, there's eight ways at IHOP you can have your eggs. They've got a little guide at the bottom of the menu. Just to run you through all your different options. If you want your eggs fried, do you want them sunny side up or over easy or over hard? Do you want them as a Benedict or as an omelet? Or you want them scrambled? Well, do you want them with the egg yolks still in or just the egg whites? <laughs> just the eggs, okay. And how do you want your steak? You know, is that gonna be well done or medium or medium rare or rare or blue. And then after you've picked your eggs and after you've picked your steak, you then have to pick a side to go along with it. Is it gonna be the bacon or the toast? Is it gonna be the sausage or the hash brown? Oh, you want pancakes? Of course, it's the International House of Pancakes. I'm gonna have the pancakes. Well, what kind of syrup would you like with the pancakes, sir? It's like, I thought there was only maple. It's like, no, 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 no. There's chocolate, salted caramel, but a pecan strawberry, blueberry, and original. That's just one order for one person. I think it took her about 45 minutes to get our whole order down, the poor woman. What do you want? Well, when it comes to syrup choices, it's a pretty trivial question. And yet in another context, there is, there is almost no other question that's more important than this one. What do you want? In the totality of your life, what's at the top of your wants? See, the way you answer that question will expose who you are to your very core. It exposes where you're going, the orientation of your life, and that's because it reveals the things that are most important to us, the things that we cherish, our strongest desires, what it is that we truly love. What do you want? is ultimately a question that reveals what's going on in here, in our hearts. You know, someone once asked God that question, what do you want from us? Although it wasn't quite asked in those words and the person asking it certainly didn't expect that they were talking to God when they posed the question. But I'm, I'm referring to the time in Mark's gospel when a lawyer bails Jesus up one day and asks him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
which is the most important? And at one level, it's a fair enough question, right? Because at the time, there was like 613 different Jewish laws to follow, which is the most important. But without even realizing it, this guy is fronting up to God himself and basically asking, what is it that you want from us? What is it that's most important to you? Imagine having that opportunity to ask that question of God and then not even realizing that that was what you were actually doing. But Jesus' response, it's brilliant, and what it actually is doing is exposing the very heart of God to us. Many of us will be familiar with his answer. Of course, Jesus says, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Interesting. Now, some of us will be so familiar with this answer, so familiar with these words, we actually miss just how interesting this really is. It's an interesting answer. For instance, just try taking aside a friend or a family member this week who doesn't know God, what do you think they would say, or what do you think they imagine it is that God wants from them? What do you think they'd say? Maybe their loyalty, maybe their unthinking obedience, maybe their, their blind faith. Maybe God wants their worship, or maybe he wants their money, or maybe he wants their time and attention. Or maybe he just wants for them what, to be happy, to live as good a life as they possibly can. I don't know what they might say. I actually say, go and ask someone this week and, and see what it is they say. But I would be surprised if they said love, that God wants their love. I'd be surprised if someone said that. And yet that's what Jesus says, isn't it? That's what Jesus says right here. God's answer to the question, what do you want, is love and love. So emphatic. Actually, it's in there twice, isn't it? God wants us to love him and to love our neighbor. And as familiar as that might be to you, it really is actually pretty interesting. Of all the things God could possibly want from you, most of all, he wants your love. He wants to be your chief desire. Now, it's worth saying, this is what Jesus says here, the answer he gives. It's not new, actually. He's quoting directly from two different parts of ancient Jewish law. Firstly, from the, the fourth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, which is really before Israel's even entered into the promised land, so it's very early on in their history. Uh, we read that before, Mark read that for us, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 very famous verse in Jewish history and Jewish faith. It, to this day, is known as the Shema. And, and Orthodox Jews, to this day, will still recite these words morning and night. That's how important it is. So that's not new. And same too with love of neighbor. Jesus wasn't breaking new ground on that front. Uh, that features in Old Testament law as well, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, if you want to go and have a look. So it's not groundbreaking. And yet, what is new is the way that Jesus takes this law from Deuteronomy and this law from Leviticus, 
pushes them together, and then with, with divine authority, he declares, there is no commandment greater than these. This is what God wants from us, in other words, to love upwardly and outwardly. And ultimately, he wants love from us because that's who he is. That's who he is. God is love. We heard that read from 1 John as well. In fact, that's in there twice too, verses 8 and 16. It's worth noting that, that John can't write those words any more strongly than he does, right? He doesn't say, God is loving, although of course he is. John doesn't say, God is the greatest example of love that we have, although of course he is that as well. John, John writes, God is love. It's as strongly as he can put it. God is love. He is the very definition of what it means to love. And what is that? What does it actually mean to love? Lots of definitions I'm sure you can find, but here's one that might help. I think to love is really to long for and to work towards someone's best. Someone's best. Committing yourself to someone's good. In the case of God, it means being other person-centered. So he's, he's not just like that, John tells us. God is that. He is love. And if God is love, then that makes love both fundamental and original. As in, it, it, it predates creation before the beginning. Think about that for a moment. Even before we were on the scene, there was love because there was God. Now, the sharp ones amongst us might ask the question, well, how can that be, right? How can you have other person-centered love when there's no other people for you to love? Like, that doesn't quite make sense, right? However, that, friends, is the brilliance of the Trinity, right? One God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, which means God is actually in loving relationship within himself. He is a relationship. And because God is love, that also makes love an ultimate reality. I'm reading an amazing book at the moment, Biblical Critical Theory, it's called. Uh, Deb got me onto it, actually. Thanks for that, Deb. Uh, but it's by an Aussie professor by the name of Christopher Watkin. Fascinating book. I like the way he puts it when he says, love is the epicenter of the distinctively Christian way of being in the world. Right? It's love. It's not power. It's not respect or tolerance. It's not equality. It's not justice. It's not freedom, enlightenment, or submission. It's love. Love is the overall shape of Christian ethics, the form of the human participation in created order. Now, it's a little bit wordy, but notice in particular just the first and last lines of that quote, love is the epicenter, which means when everything else gets boiled down, the thing that remains is love. It's fundamental 
and it's original. Also notice at the end, this is not just for Christians, but love is the form of the human participation in created order, the human participation, right? It's not just a Christian thing, this is a human thing. It's baked into the very fabric of humanity. See, back at the beginning, when God created us in His image, He created us to be lovers. He created us to be lovers, to, to love just like He loves. We're made to long for and work towards someone else's best, right? Someone else's best. That's what he does, other person-centered. He made us to love him and to love each other. The very first claim the Bible ever makes about humanity, very first claim, is that we have been made by God and for God for us to be in relationship with him. And you know what that means? If you've been created by someone else, by another, for his purpose, then, then that actually means that you and I, we only make sense in relationship to him. Only make sense in relationship to him. It's a bit like that painting, Blue Poles. <clears throat> it's easily the most famous controversial piece of artwork that Australia owns. It's currently hanging in the National Art Gallery down in Canberra. Anyone had a chance to see it before? Bunch of you. Excellent. The Whitlam government purchased this piece of art back in 1973 for a cool $1.3 million, which at the time was the equivalent of kind of $13 million in our money today. And it set a record when he bought it as the most expensive piece of American art that had ever been sold. That was us. People were outraged at the time. You might remember that if, if you date back that far. But I read an article this week that claimed today Blue Poles is worth $500 million. 500, that's half a billion dollars that we got hanging down on a wall in Canberra. Not a bad investment, is it? Not a bad investment. But you know, without any context, that could just be a house painting accident, couldn't it? A whoops. Looks kind of like a drop sheet you might put under your ladder. (laughs) But of course, that's not an accident. It's an intentional creation. And in fact, it's one of the world's foremost examples of abstract expressionism. Heavy on the abstract. And its creator, Jackson Pollock, is considered one of the most important artists of the 20th century. And so Blue Poles is actually the final installment in a series of his works which ended up changing the course of modern art. See, there's a creator and an intention, and that's the difference between worthless splashes and half a billion dollars. You see, the painting's extraordinary value only truly makes sense in relationship to its creator and its intention. So it is with you and I. We are not accidental splashes on a cosmic drop sheet. We are God's intentional creation. 
We're the final installment in his creative masterwork. And that means we only really make sense in relationship to him. It's the difference between a mess and a masterpiece. And friends, humanity is the latter. Each of us like a priceless work of art, not because of anything that we've done, but because of him, because the creator of the universe spun you into being for a reason. That reason is to be in relationship with him, to love outwardly, to love like he does. God wants you to want him, not because he's desperate and needy, but because other person-centered love is his jam, right? He is love. So God has created you to want him with everything that you possess in every area of your life and every corner of your being, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, with everything and always. And my goodness, that that should be like the easiest thing for us to do, right? The easiest thing, because this is a God whose love has driven him to be so good to us, hasn't it? So good. He's given us this amazing world, amazing world that just abounds in every respect with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. In fact, his blessings are so common that we miss the fact that we're surrounded by them, don't we? And not only that, but he's also given us his own life, shed his own blood. As the son came down to die in our place. And not just that, he's given us his spirit along with this incredible promise of, of resurrection hope and eternal life with him. I mean, you put it all together and it's like, yeah, that should be, should be the easiest thing. I like the way that um, Paul Tripp puts it in his book, Awe. He says, true love is actually a state of awe. You are enthralled with the other person, enthralled with what he or she has brought into your life and enthralled that he or she would choose to live with a person like you. Enthralled. That's how we should be in our love towards God. And given how good he's been to us, it it should be the easiest, most natural thing in the world. And yet, is it? I mean, is that your experience? Is that how you would describe your love for God? Would you use the word enthralled? Well, when I ask that question to start us off today, what do you want? I wonder what you said, what your mind went to first. I wonder how many of us gave answers similar to Jesus, you know? I want to love God and my neighbor more. I wonder who said that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some people in here did say that, and top marks to you if you did. And yet, I would hazard a guess that The reason you want to love God more is precisely because you're painfully aware of just how often you don't, right? And we don't. We're not enthralled with him, not all the time, not in every way, and not with everything that we have. And we're, I mean, being honest here, right? We're not always the most loving neighbors to those around us, are we? And it's basically because we love ourselves too much. We're too busy longing for and working towards 
our own best. So we end up loving things like, you know, our wealth and the freedom that it brings, or we love our successes and the the recognition and the praise that we get. We love the the security and the comfort and the satisfaction that comes from from having a family. We, we, We love the prospect of travel, the adventure that awaits, the possibilities. We love sex and the pleasure that it promises us. We love manly. Don't we love manly? Living here in Sydney, right, and all the blessings that flow from being in one of the safest, richest, most beautiful parts of the whole world. Most of all, though, we're actually just enthralled with ourselves, aren't we? And, and all the other loves that we might fill our life with, they're actually just in service of that primary one, our self-love. That's tragic. It's tragic. You know, God created us to be other person-centered, to love upwardly, to love outwardly, and instead our love curves inwards. We keep it all to ourselves. But there is good news. God is willing to forgive our misplaced love. We heard about it last week as we wrapped up our series in Esther. God offers to rescue us from the mess. And when we come to him in repentance and faith and when we confess our lack of love for him, incredibly, he forgives us, doesn't he? And he offers us his mercy and his grace and not just a little bit, but he gives it to us in abundance, more than we could possibly need. And he does that because he loves us, which is also what we read in 1 John. This is love, John writes, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The other bit of good news is that when it comes to our lack of love, we are not helpless. I mean, initially we are, but when God makes his home in our hearts, when by his spirit he, he takes up residency in here, he actually makes it possible for us to pursue him, for us to participate and partner in cultivating and curating the desires of our hearts. Now, these go by lots of names, godly habits, spiritual disciplines, practices. Uh, If you were here with us back in 2020, you might remember us taking a whole term to really explore practices and habits in the Christian life. We called it, What Are You Doing? Anyone remember that? Uh, I hope you do. And uh, I wonder how you're tracking if you're with us. Wonder which of those habits managed to stick. This term, we're going to come back to explore godly habits again, and I feel like it's probably time for us to do that. And yet, uh, this time we're going to look at them through the lens of the two great love commandments. We're going to ask questions like, how do you love God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? And it's going to be a super practical series, right? What role might the godly habits spiritual disciplines, what what role might they play in helping to drive our love for God deeper? I think that's the helpful thing about approaching it in this way. It should ground us in love, 
As Jesus says, that's what the Christian life's all about, you know, before it's a set of rules to follow, before it's a club to join, before it's a pastime to partake in, a hobby to hone, or a lifestyle to live, when you boil it all down at the heart of this thing, this thing is a relationship. It's a relationship between you and him and us. And so all the practices that we're going to unpack together as as we, we move through the next seven weeks, you know, whether it's Sabbath and scripture or silence and solitude, hospitality and friendship. We don't do any of those out of a dry sense of duty or because we're, we're feeling guilty or fearful. We do them actually in order to serve a relationship, a real, genuine, living, breathing, growing, changing relationship with God. That's what this is all about, right? Reshaping and reforming our desires so that over the course of our lives, by the power of His Spirit, we are more and more and more enthralled with the God who loves us. When um, we got back from holidays, three weeks on holidays, we rolled into the driveway, and what's the first thing that greeted us, do you think? The garden was a mess. <laughs> Great. That's not my garden, by the way. But you get the idea. You get the idea. It wasn't quite that bad. But, you know, the lawn was getting long. The weeds had started shooting up. The edges were messy. The hedges needed a trim. I mean, that's the first thing you feel like doing, right, when you get off a long-haul flight, like grabbing the snipper. But I wonder if, for many of us, the state of my backyard that day was was like the state of our hearts right now, right? Like as if you've almost been on holidays from your faith, if that was something you could even do. You kind of let your relationship with God get a little overgrown and unruly. Maybe you've noticed weeds have started popping up around the place, you know, decisions or desires that... They really have no place in the heart of someone who loves God. Or maybe it's simply been just a lack of time, bit by bit, a lack of attention that you've been giving to it, and so you've just been preoccupied with other stuff. Or maybe actually you've been mowing every week. You've been watering those flowers every second day. But not much else. You know, not much else. And in fact, maybe there's, there's, there's plenty of things that that you could be doing, you've never thought of even considered doing, like edging and trimming and fertilizing, and the list goes on. And so maybe for you this term, it's, it's about new practices and new habits to try out. And what a difference some of those new habits might make to help the garden of your heart really flourish. What is the state of your backyard? Where is your heart at? What do you want? Are you enthralled with God the way he's created you to be? I can't think of a better time for us to be asking those kinds of questions of ourselves than right now, this term. And I'm praying that this is going to be a hands-dirty, sweat-on-the-brow kind of term for all of us. You ready to roll up your sleeves? Before closing in prayer, I'm just going to leave those questions up for a few moments. I encourage you to just take 
those few moments to ask yourself those questions and reflect, perhaps pray and ask for the term ahead that God might reveal to us the areas in our lives that need our attention this term. Take a few moments, then I'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, loving you should be the easiest thing. But we are sorry when we love ourselves more than we love you. We pray, Lord, this term, you might help us to be enthralled with you more. That our love for you may may abound in every area of our lives. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.